This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. listeners and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene the Podcast. I'm your host Aaron Harris and my guest for this episode is Capstan Therapeutics CEO Laura Shaver PhD. Laura, welcome to Cell and Gene the Podcast and thanks for your time. Well, thanks Aaron for having me. It's uh, great to be uh, talking to your listeners. That's good. That's good. Well, we're glad to have you. So we're going to jump right in. All right. So listeners, you may already know that Capstan Therapeutics was all over the news back in September for launching with $165 million for in vivo cell engineering uh, to advance cell, cell-based therapies. Now, Capstan spun out of Penn with scientific founders, including Team Unity's co-founder, Dr. Carl June, and mRNA pioneer, Drew Weissman. Real quick for listeners, uh, speaking of Dr. Carl June, please be sure to check out episode 28 of Cell Engineering the Podcast, which features my interview with Dr. June. It's a, it's a great listen. Okay. So Laura, talk to us about the days since the official launch, you know, what's Capstan Therapeutics mission? What has been going on inside the four walls of Capstan since kind of the official news hit? Well, that's a, a, a great way to start actually, because um, a lot of excitement with the launch of Capstan, but one thing that people should know is that the company had been in stealth mode um, since last December. So actually, there was a lot of activity leading up to the official launch of Capstan, including work going on um, at our laboratories, both in um, Philadelphia, as well as our laboratories in San Diego. And you, some of the um, listeners may know about the science paper that demonstrated that you could deliver a, in this case, an, an anti-fat car to mice with cardiac disease and uh, that you could express that anti-fat car in T cells, which would lead to a reduction in cells that express fat, fibro- in this case, fibrotic cells, and an improvement in heart function. And this was a big splash because it was the first time that it had been demonstrated that you could take ex vivo you know, CAR T engineering and do it in vivo or in the body. And in this case, of course, it was a mouse model, uh, but very important as we think about. Uh, the future of medicine and what has been opened up with traditional CAR CAR T therapy and how we can get that type of treatment to more patients. Good, good. Okay. And that's actually what I want to talk about next, more in in, in depth detail about the in vivo cell engineering side of this. Um, 
so as you said, so the it's your initial focus is on um, car therapies, and uh, which certain cells, usually the T cells, are modified with receptors that allow them to attack uh, and disable harmful antigens like cancer cells. So, like you said, this is often done ex vivo. Uh, Capsan instead is de- developing in vivo car therapies. So, talk us through what led to this in vivo cell engineering breakthrough. Yeah, his, uh, Capstan really has its history in in cell therapy and CAR T therapy, which uh, you you may know is actually decades in the making. And not only should your listeners uh, listen to your the podcast that you did with Dr. June, but uh, very recently there's a documentary out called "Of Medicine and mm-hmm. Miracles," which does track the history of CAR T therapy back from when you know Carl was first in um, in medical school and how uh, bone marrow transplants really started because uh, he w- he was in the Navy and got his training in the Navy and of course the the government was afraid back then of uh, of, of radiation and how to treat um, people that were exposed to radiation. And, and and bone marrow transplants were one of, the, of those. And that's how he got into bone marrow transplants, which of course at that time was being used for kids with leukemia. It was really um, new and evolving. And it takes the whole history of what started as bone marrow transplants to how that today um, is, is now ex vivo CAR T therapy talked about talks about his career, but also Emily Whitehead, who was a five year old with leukemia and how their uh, lives collided, um, and just at the right moment where she was the first person, the first child to receive CAR T therapy. It's a remarkable story because if we think about you know, even since I've been in biotech and I've been in biotech a long time, since the late 80s, we were not thinking at that time, you know, how do we harness our immune system to fight cancer? That wasn't really in our vocabulary, but um, there were people out there that were were thinking in that direction uh, from a research perspective. So it hadn't hit biotech companies yet, but it was in academic research. And of course, uh, Carl June and, and Bruce Levine being one of those laboratories. And it really was a puzzle, which is how do we think about uh, harnessing the, our, the body's own immune system to fight cancer? And of course, this is um, came with the understanding of of T cells and subsets of T cells and how they normally survey our bodies and look, oh, is there, are there any cancer cells around and, and prevent us from, from getting cancer? And then of course, the understanding um, that you could unleash the body's immune system to fight certain kinds of cancer. And I think that you know, there are, um, so, so Capsan came from 
this ex vivo engineering of T cells, which we know can cure cancer in certain or cure people that, that have certain cancers. That's remarkable. We want to extend that. And of course, many people understand the limitations of CAR T therapy, that it's not accessible for most people. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing statistic that in the United States, only 20% of people that should get CAR T therapy actually have access to it. You have to be close to a teaching hospital. You have to be admitted. You have to have the time to oftentimes take um, your, you know, the cells out of your body and have them engineered in a laboratory and then put back in. Um, so there are limitations. And then of course, what has happened in the last three years is the COVID-19 pandemic. And we've learned that you can deliver a messenger RNA in a lipid nanoparticle and that messenger RNA will be delivered to cells and translated into a protein that has a biological consequence. In the case of the vaccine, it's the COVID-19 spike protein that is encoded in the RNA. It, the, our bodies make that spike protein, our immune system recognizes it, mounts a response and creates Im immunity against COVID-19. So it's really what Capstan is doing is marrying those two, uh, uh, you know, two, two modalities, each of which were decades in the making. We've already talked about um, the, the ex vivo CAR T therapy, but if you think about what also is required what was required to that led up to successful COVID-19 vaccines is how do we deliver RNA when RNA has a very short half-life in the body? Um, it is recognized um, by our immune system and cleared very quickly. And hence, of course, um, this is the work of, of Drew Weissman, another one of our founders, and, and Katie Carrico, who really, under, who, who again, decades of work to understand that if you replace uridine in an RNA, so the listeners may know that DNA is made up of four letters, A, T, C, and G, and RNA, four letters, A, U, T, A, U, C, and G, and that that uridine um, can be replaced uh, with a synthetic, um, base uh, nucleotide uh, called pseudouridine. And that um, finding, which again was years of work in a laboratory, now allowed the RNA to persist in the body for long enough such that it could be translated into a protein. And when you encapsulated it into a lipid nanoparticle, that of course, um, uh, extended that the half-life even for even longer. So it's really an amazing journey that the the our the whole industry, the whole field of both academia and biotech has been on for the last 40 years to get to where to get to the launch of Capstan. 
So remarkable times, really. Oh, I'll say remarkable times. I mean, that's really, really just not only empowering in what is to come, but also just phenomenal and what has taken place to date. Um, really, really exciting information. Uh, I do have a question. What We've talked a lot about the on- oncologic diseases that can be addressed here. Are there any or what other diseases are being targeted or can be targeted perhaps down the road? Yes. So what um, we again, it's a, it's really the field that has moved forward. Uh, it's not one individual. That's not one company. And of course, there's a lot of of us that are focused on really what is the cutting edge of innovation. And that's the ability to deliver uh, or to reprogram T cells in the body. And this uh, will allow um, access for to many, many more patients with serious disease. And as you pointed out, Aaron, it does start with oncology because this is where CAR T therapy was first proven in lymphomas, um, in leukemias, um, of course, now that's extended to other things like multiple myeloma, predominantly hematological disorders. Now, hopefully we'll have time to talk about the challenge of solid tumors, because this, of course, is where we all really need to move into how do we create more cures for people with solid tumors. But getting to your question of what other diseases can benefit Of course, um, the science paper that was published earlier this year demonstrated that we might be able to use this for different fibrotic diseases. And of course, you have liver fibrosis, we have lung fibrosis, we have cardiac fibrosis. uh, Fibrosis is actually a big uh, problem for for people um, that, that can be created either because of aging or because of certain other autoimmune conditions that just causes these fibrotic diseases. So that's very, I think, very exciting that we might be able to treat different types of fibrosis uh, with uh, with cell therapy. Of course, that's very difficult to do with ex vivo cell therapy, but quite possible to do if we can engineer T cells um, in vivo. And uh, another disease which, uh, or set of diseases, which has recently been demonstrated to benefit is autoimmune diseases, specifically uh, lupus, where the same principles uh, were applied to to, uh, young women with very serious lupus um, that did not respond to standard treatment where they took cells out of their body, they engineered their T cells, put them back in, and tremendous responses uh, uh, for these young younger women um, with very serious lupus. So that is uh, another opportunity for utilizing in vivo cell reprogramming. There's, of course, other types of um, autoimmune diseases that we need better therapies for, not just lupus, but multiple sclerosis and myasthenia gravis and a number of others as well. And it it does bring up a, another very important point about 
in vivo cellular reprogramming versus traditional ex vivo CAR T therapy is that the listeners may know that when you take cells out of the body and engineer them, you can't just put them back in. You have to do something called lymphodepletion, uh, where you have to deplete, you, uh, you know, deplete ourselves of our natural T cells. So you and, and natural immune cells. So we have to undergo very intensive chemotherapy treatment, and then we can put the cells back in. They will engraft. They will expand. They are now programmed to attack certain cells, be it a cancer cell or be it a fibrotic cell or be a, 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 a cell that's making an antibody that's causing uh, an autoimmune condition. And um, this is a limitation of for getting this type of tremendous and, and potentially curative therapies um, to, to patients is this need for lymphodepletion. That's another advantage of in vivo cell engineering uh, is that this won't be required. Good, good. Um, thank you for all of that. And I want to, you did mention earlier, and I want to make sure we cover it if, if, you, if you would like to, um, the, the solid tumor component of this. So can we address that for just a, a quick second? Yes. So uh, all of the inroads that have been made in hematological malignancies have unfortunately not held true um, in, in solid tumors. So there's uh, pieces that were missing there. And um, many people that know me uh, know that um, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer back in 2006. Uh, of course, ovarian cancer um, is very deadly. Most women never get their lives back. They go from chemo to chemo to chemo to chemo, and they pass away anyway. And, um, you know, I have been, since my own diagnosis and treatment and uh, recovery, very focused on how do we help women with ovarian cancer get um, get get their cure? Because I was one of the lucky ones and I got my life back. And I was so struck, again, getting back to the movie of Medicine and Miracles that Carl June's wife died from ovarian cancer. And I didn't know that till I, I, I saw the movie, I saw the documentary. And of course I was so personally just, uh, oh, it just, I could really feel it, you know, and I can mm -hmm. really feel it because I also still talk with women that have a diagnosis. And I know that there's such unmet need there. And it's not just ovarian cancer, it's other types. Of course, we've made tremendous progress in, in lung cancer and breast cancer, um, in melanoma, you know, many cancers, tremendous progress. But Still to this day, there's so much unmet need there. And we haven't learned yet how to harness the um, our T cells and our, our, our immune system to attack um, solid tumors. But guess what? That is now becoming a reality. Mm -hmm. And all of the people that in, in the academic labs and in, um, in biotech, that have been focused on hematological malignancies are turning their attention to solid tumors. And yes, we have to add a few more 
tricks or a few more bells and whistles to make sure that those T cells can get into those solid tumors and that there's not repressive mechanisms that overcome the power of those T cells, but it's happening. And we will see this, I believe, in the next five to 10 years. And, and that will be very exciting for, for people that um, can't benefit from, from the, the treatments that we have today. Certainly. And uh, well, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. And I'm very thrilled to hear that you are in recovery and moved past it and are dedicating your time and expertise to helping other women with ovarian cancer and the people who love them. So that's wonderful. Yeah, um, it's, a support, it's very important. I mean, uh, you know, I, I just tell what share one more story about yes. this, and then we'll get back to this because when, of course, I I entered um, biotech in the era of oncogenes and and growth factors and signal transection pathways when we were understanding what drove a particular tumor. And I used to do this, uh, you know, in, in in some of my companies, we would get in our clinical trials, we would get their tumors and we would bring them into the lab and we would profile them and. So when I was diagnosed, I just said, oh, I'm going to profile my tumor. I'm going to see if I express HER2 or EGF receptor. And, you know, these were what was happening at the time. And, you know, I did find out that, you know, Dr. Laura Schauber, the scientist, could profile other people's tumors in the lab, but I couldn't get my own tumor profile to really to save my soul. And, and that pissed me off. And that, that led me to, to start the Clarity Foundation, which is still going today. Um, it's a nonprofit that helps women with ovarian cancer um, not only get access to molecular profiling, but get access to clinical trials. It's another thing for the listeners to really appreciate is that clinical trials are very important part of, of potential treatment for anybody that has cancer. We really encourage people to look at, at clinical trials um, uh, because these can be um, game-changing right. um, for people fighting cancer. Um, and uh, anyway, that's um, uh, still still dedicated uh, through Clarity Foundation to to continue this effort. And hence why um, also I was very taken by um, Carl June's personal story. Absolutely. Clarity Foundation, where uh, can you share with us the URL and where we can find you online? Sure. It's www.clarity.com. Clarity Foundation or, or clarity.org. So it's a clear as in a clear day. So C L E A R I T Y.org. What a yeah. great name. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all of that information that was uh, moving. And I, I think that moving and inspirational and, and hopeful. So yeah, we, we, we have a lot of hope um, for anyone that. Uh, has a cancer diagnosis and, you know, people, it's a shock. I, I know this firsthand. It's such a shock. It's so, so life changing, but I think everybody, um, all of our founders, everybody, all the employees at Capstan, we really are driven to bring, you know, the power of, of, of CAR T therapy to patients on a much broader basis. And um, we believe that this is the future of, of not only of, of medicine, but just bringing this to making it more convenient, more accessible, and getting more people um, their, their cure. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and yourself included, you have a, an absolute cream of the crop team to help you to, to help you do that. So, I mean, if there's awesome team for sure. Oh, if there is a team out there that can that can make that happen, it's it's the team that you are a part of for sure. Um, I have a couple more questions about the actual the delivery of the treatment. Um, now, this will be this is delivered in an outpatient setting. I know at the top of our discussion, we were talking about the fact that, you know, car car T therapies, for example, are, you know, you have to be near a teaching hospital. It's all about geographic location and, and access. So as you know, how how is Capstan addressing maybe any of the challenges that with delivering treatment in an outpatient setting? So what does that look like? Is that in fact the case? And then how are you moving forward? So Aaron, that's a that's a really important aspect of, of what we're doing here. And of course, you know, we're still in our early days. Um, uh, but um, I can tell you what the promise of in vivo um, cell reprogramming brings is that for all the listeners who got a COVID-19 vaccine and maybe either went to their doctor's office or went to a, uh, you know, a Walgreens or a CVS or wherever they got it and the pharmacist came out with a little vial and a needle and syringe and withdrew some liquid from that vial and put it in our arms, right? That's what it will look like when we've been successful with in vivo cellular reprogramming. It might be an IV instead of, you know, a sub-Q or an IM, but they'll come out with a vial, a needle and syringe, and it'll be a shot in the arm, you know, or a, a, a of IV push, um, so different than how it is today. Again, as I said, um, it's early days when we have a ways to go to get there, but that's the promise. Good, good. I love that. That's that's digestible for sure. Um, all right. I want to talk a little bit about mRNA and the lipid nanoparticle portion of this. So talk us through, you know, we talked about the harnessing of mRNA and targeted uh, LNP um, delivery to to train the patient's body right to make the CAR T cells in vivo. So, I, just a little bit more on the mRNA TLMP side of this. You know, what should our listeners really take away from that? So, what the listeners should take away is that um, what we're doing that's different with the uh, TLMP is that we are targeting it to a particular cell type. Now we'll start with T cells, but there's other uh, cells that we could target to. And um, we haven't talked about it today. We probably won't, but there's a whole gene editing component of our technology. And um, what we do is we take the, the mRNA that codes for a CAR or a chimeric antigen receptor we encapsulate that in a lipid nanoparticle. And maybe people know that lipid nanoparticles are typically made up of four components, a, a cholesterol, a, a phospholipid, an ionizable lipid, and a pegylated lipid. Um, and then we add another piece to that. And that is that we decorate it with a, an antibody or a 
a binder that can recognize uh, a, a particular cell type. So in the science paper, the lipid nanoparticle was decorated with an antibody that recognizes CD5, um, which is expressed on T-cells. Uh, and so you can then, most people know that a limitation of LMPs is that it, it, it wants, it naturally goes to the liver. So how do we direct it away from the liver and get enough delivered to a T cell so they can be reprogrammed, express the car and uh, uh, kill a tumor cell. Some of your listeners probably know that T cells are very powerful. You don't have to get a lot of them going in order to have a pretty profound effect. In, in, in the documentary that we mentioned, they talked about eight pound tumors disappearing. I mean, it's really, it's really powerful. It's really remarkable. So we do conjugate to the LMP a binder that will recognize epitopes on different cell types, CD5 being one or CD8 as another example for, for things that could uh, uh, direct uh, an LMP to a T cell. Okay, thank you for that. That's that's a good explanation and helpful for our listeners. Um, I do want to talk about the investment side of this for a little bit. Um, now, you know, th there are there are big numbers which are very impressive. You know, attached to Capstan Therapeutics, and um, as of late, you know, we know sponsor companies have had a, a rough go of it. Uh, you know, had a rough time garnering capital. So what? would you say were the best practices or the what Capstan did really well to partner with, you know, to meet up with investment partners and meet, you know, meet in the middle? Um, what would you say are the things you did right? Maybe some of the things you would do differently to our biotech listeners who are kind of going through the same thing? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been in biotech since 1989. So, I've seen a lot of these cycles and it is unfortunate that um, we are in a downturn, but um, what I, I do know from my many years of being in the industry is that good companies, exciting companies that are on the leading edge of innovation can get funded even in difficult times. Um, and I think there's only one time and that you know, almost no companies got funded, and that was in the 2008, 2009, you know, world macroeconomic collapse, uh, when uh, in general, just there was nothing happening. But we've had many um, contractions in our industry, we've had many downturns, and companies get funded during those times. And it is the companies that are doing something different, that have great teams in place, that have great founders um, that have been around the block, have been there, done that. Um, and of course, for Capstan, as I said, we're building on decades of work um, where our founders have invested their time and energy because they see that many more patients could benefit if Capstan has success with the, the technology that, that they created and investors can see that as well. 
So uh, yes, we are, we feel very fortunate, but um, other great companies are also getting funded during this time. Uh, and uh, it perhaps, you know, in, in, in better times, we have more companies that get funded that maybe shouldn't or wouldn't in more difficult times. Um, and, uh, uh, but we, we are, we do feel great about the capital that we've raised. We feel great about the progress that, that we've made to date. Uh, looking forward to uh, continuing that progress and uh, one day moving um, this into clinical trials. I'm, I'm certain it will happen. I, it's, I would say that your uh, sentiment of, you know, the, the good science will draw the investment partners. Uh, I attended ARMS meeting on the Mesa weeks ago or so now and uh one of the panels was on you know it was a group of investors on the stage you know providing best practices the tone was not great but uh certainly said exactly what you said which is um you know you if if you are a group with solid science you know if you build it they will come so uh i think you're you're certainly on the right you have the right mindset yeah, thank you. Uh, and I and look, I think all companies in the startup mode um, benefit from a lot of discussion with investors, and that happened for Capstan as well. And the founders at Capstan, I wasn't with the company then, but you know the investors give feedback, and the um, the founding team you know tweaked um, the business model, and that did allow for. Um, um, that, that allowed for the seed financing and the Series A to come in. And, and yes, we're fortunate to be well-funded and that will allow us to take the technology into the clinic. So we're excited about that. Good. Well, that, that leads right into my next question of, you know, what's on the 2023 and shortly thereafter roadmap, getting the technology into the clinic, certainly, but what else can you share with us that's on the, the short-term roadmap for Capstan? Yeah, we haven't uh, said, you know, we haven't provided timelines about when we will be in the clinic, this being new technology. Of course, it might take a little longer than um, what all of us would like um, initially and going into 2023. We really want to demonstrate the, 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 the power of the platform itself, uh, really to create a toolbox of, of binders and payloads and really be able to, as a company, look to see where is this technology best placed. We talked about what is the best therapeutic area? Is it oncology? Is it autoimmune disease? Is it fibrosis? Um, we're, going to, we're going to be examining that very carefully. What is the payload that we want to deliver um, what are the right binders? What are the right cell types that we want to deliver it to? And then to be able to demonstrate that we can get biologically relevant expression in T cells or other cell types in larger species. So, you know, um, all many companies are founded on technology that's proven out in mouse models and Capstan Caps is, is one of those. You know, the, again, that science paper was um, an, an amazing demonstration of the power of, of the technology. We wanna demonstrate this in, 
in, in larger species. And, uh, you know, we also want to talk with the FDA about how they view this. And, you know, um, are we, um, because we don't see the same types of adverse events that you see with traditional CAR therapy, does that put us better positioned as we think about moving into the clinic? Sometimes the FDA, in spite of, you know, the data, will say, well, we have this experience with CAR-Ts and they see cytokine release and ICANs, you know, that's a neurological side effect. So we want you to be very cautious. So we wanna understand from the agency, from the FDA standpoint, how do they think about this technology? Um, so we hope to be having some interactions there as well. Good, good. Well, I hope you will come back and share with us uh, all the progress in in another upcoming episode down the road sometime next year so we can no, check back in. Good, good. Uh, we've reached the formal end of the podcast. And at this point, I like to talk to my guests a little bit to get to know their personality. And so um, prior to official recording, we talked about the fact that you are geographically you're in San Diego. Um, but of course, you have, an, as we said, an office in Philadelphia. And with the World Series right around the corner, um, you, you mentioned you're a Phillies fan. But my question is, what did you do? Who did you vote? Who did you vote for? <laughs> you, I have the election on my mind. Can you tell? Um, who did you Who did you root for in the playoffs? Because yeah. it was it was the Padres San and the Diego, Phillies. I know we were going back and forth. You can imagine because uh, yeah, we have labs in Philly, and of course our founders are there, and right. labs in San Diego. So we were mailing each other hats, you know, Padres hats and Phillies hats. And, you know, we, um, it was, it was a really good rivalry, but of course um, we recognized that we were going to win no matter what. And now we're all as a company rooting for, for Phillies, for, for Philly, for the Phillies over um, the Astros. Right. Um, I'm a big sports fan of all sorts. And, you know, um, been following baseball since, I don't know, my, my grandfather got me into yeah, it, all yeah. things, but, um, you know, so wherever I am, I'm a big fan and actually like, like the Astros too, because I'm a Dusty Baker fan back from when he was coaching the Giants. So, um, but of course we, we, uh, we're, we, we're going to, we're going to hope Philadelphia prevails and we're going to be cheering for them and yeah. maybe we'll go to the parade. Who knows? <laughs> oh, I, I said the same thing. And I, and, and the Philly, the Phillies are one of those teams where you, I, it's almost like you have to, they won't let you in the building. So <laughs> I hope they win. I hope this, it hasn't started yet, uh, but really excited. And uh, my dad has been a Phillies fan his entire life oh. and he uh you know he always jokes that you know you're a real fan when you stick with them this whole time because it's Absolutely. been it's, it's been a ride I don't think they've been I think it was 2009 maybe was the last time they were I think it was 08 I think that they won it the, but yeah, yeah right around there and uh so anyway it's just a really exciting time to be a Philadelphia sports fan and so um I real hard to get tickets though boy Oof. I know that some of our capstaneers in Philly got tickets for the San Diego for the uh, I know. Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to get World Series tickets. So we'll I see. mean, yeah, you have it's to. Hard yeah. to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's a for affording them is the is the real issue. Um, oh. Well, we'll have to uh, we'll have to 
you know, we'll have to see how they, I think they're going to pull it out. So we'll see. I think so too. All right, listeners, that wraps up this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast featuring Capstan Therapeutics, Laura Shaver, PhD. Thank you so much, Laura, for your time. This is a lot of fun and a ton of really good information. Great to be here. And uh, thanks for, for the opportunity. Absolutely. All right, listeners, visit cellandgene.com, sign up for our newsletter, and please share with your peers and colleagues to subscribe to Cell and Gene, the podcast, wherever they get their podcasts. Talk soon. Bye.